and I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense Bloggers Roundtable for Tuesday, June 24th, 2014. My name is William Selby again. I'm with the Office of the, I'm Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs. In honor of PT, PTSD Awareness Month, DOD Live, in coordination with the Real Warriors Campaign, will host a Bloggers Roundtable today, and we will be discussing... Uh, we will be discussing issues and resources available for service members and their families uh, that are dealing with uh, any of the warrior, uh, wounded warrior issues. Today on the line, we have uh, Real Warriors Campaign Profile Master Sergeant Aaron Tippett, who is going to share his story of reaching out for help and how it positively impacted his career and family life. And uh, joining Master Sergeant Tippett will be Nancy St. Clair, Chief Operating Officer from our campaign partner, Given Hour. Uh, again, I just want to lay this out for any of the people that have not been on our calls before. Please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Respect our guest time, keeping your questions succinct and to the point. Do not uh, please do not ask a question off topic. Please, uh, if you are not asking a question, we ask that you place your phone on hold. I mean, on mute. I'm sorry. And with that, if uh, Master Sergeant Tippett, do you have an opening statement you'd like to? to say? Uh, yes, I just uh, hope that everybody had a good weekend, and uh, uh, I'm here for any questions you have. Um, uh, just anything. <laughs> Roger that. Thank you, Master Sergeant. And uh, Miss St. Clair, did you have an opening statement? I want to say thank you for welcoming me here today, and I'm happy to be talking about these issues and sharing information about Given Hour as a resource for service members, veterans, and their loved ones. Thank you very much. And uh, did somebody else join while during the opening uh, uh, statement there in the rules? And if so, can I get your name? Uh, yes, this is Sonia with the Real Warriors campaign. Okay, roger that. Okay, so we'll go ahead and get started with uh, questions. Tom, you were first on the line, so you can go ahead with your question. But uh, one quick thing, quick note, if I did not get your name and if I do not mention you and you'd like to ask a question once I get through the first line of questions, please speak up and let me know, and uh, we'll go ahead and get you then. So, Tom, with that, go ahead and ask your question. Well, thank you very much. And Master Sergeant, thank you very much for your service. No problem. Uh, thank you. My name is Tom Goring. I'm with Navy Cyberspace or NavyCS.com. Uh, I guess my question is going to be really open-ended. What, what would you like to, to for, what would you like us to let people know about? What's the most specific things that you want us to cover based on this call and, and the Real Warriors and uh, the Given Hour campaign? Uh, the Real Warriors and the Given Hour and, and all of the campaigns that are out there, um, the, the main end state that, that I would like to see and that I have seen so far is that getting help is stronger than not. Um, there's a stigma surrounding us, you know, being injured physically or mentally and emotionally, and, and that's a sign of weakness, and that's totally incorrect. Um, I've even had, you know, brothers in arms recently having seen or heard of me reaching out, that have reached out themselves. And the bottom line for me is that it's a it's much stronger thing to do to reach out and get the help that you need. All right, thank you. And Dale, you were next. 
Good morning, Master Sergeant. Uh, this is Dale Kissinger from MilitaryAvenue.com. Um, my question is, what pushed you over the top to get help with your family, yourself, uh, and outreach and advertisement? Um, what was the final uh, straw that just said, I need to go do this? Um, as far as getting help for myself, it was after multiple deployments. Uh, my wife's kind of always been my, my honest broker, and when she said, you need to get help, um, that was pretty much it for me. That was the light bulb went off. Um, nothing, nothing too bad, you know. No, I didn't harm my family or anything. It's just she just came forward and said, "You need to get help." Um, as far as me joining up with the Real Warriors campaign or, or them seeking me out, uh, one of my former soldiers, when I worked at the Air School, was doing an interview on PTSD and, and traumatic brain injuries, and kind of dined me out and said, "Hey, you know, at the time, Sergeant Tippett has had brain injuries and." And he may have PTSD. Why don't you talk to him? And I was initially very skeptical and hesitant about it. Again, that whole stigma. But uh, once I got into it, it actually helped me even further to realize who I was helping. Okay. Thank you very much. And Phyllis, you are next. Phyllis Embler Miller, Mrs. Lieutenant.blogspot.com. Could you take us back, Master Sergeant, a little and tell us? when your wife realized what you were doing that needed help, and also why you weren't worried how that would affect your service record getting help. I'm sorry, ma'am. Could you, could you repeat the question again? It's two-part. One, could you take us back a little bit about the behavior that you were exhibiting that made your wife realize you needed help, and also why you and she weren't worried that just getting help would affect your service record. Um, the... the symptoms that I were, was exhibiting and were exhibiting, they, they were cumulative. Um, each deployment, uh, things were noticed a little bit more and more. Um, agitation, sleep issues, uh, dreaming in other languages, um, just erratic behavior, anger, outbursts, uh, headaches, just all of the signs that you could read on any website. Um, I could describe them just about straight down the list. <laughs> um, and again, like I said, they were cumulative. And after uh, my deployments in 2005, and then again in 2007. Uh, she just, she's also a soldier, uh, National Guard activated right now, and that's why she's my honest broker. But I, I, I had to listen up. Um, and why we didn't think, finally, after so many years of that stigma, why we didn't think it would harm me, uh, quite honestly, didn't have anything to lose. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was for me and my family. And once I stepped my foot across the line, I realized that that stigma was just totally useless, uh, trumped up, and that it was better for me to actually get the help that I needed. So we we both immediately realized that it wasn't going to follow me no matter what happened. Thank you. And Mallory, did you have a question? I do. Um, this is Mallory Mayer. I'm an Army wife, and I also have my own blog at livingawarriorlife.com. And um, my question is, have you or do you know anybody who has benefited from alternative therapies? Um, I know that's kind of an up-and-coming thing, and I actually work in that area. And so I just wanted to know if you have any experience with that. Um, I, I actually do. Uh, I cannot remember the name of it, but I am I'm myself going to start a treatment. Uh, it's like an electrical stimulus where you hold on to these nodes. Um, I'm going to start that with my psychologist that I see once or twice a month. Uh, here myself, and that's apparently been having great results with TBI and, and PTSD patients. Also, I have uh, several 
friends and fellow soldiers that have been using acupuncture, massage, water therapy. Um, and my wife is a soldier at the Wounded Warrior uh, Battalion here on Fort Campbell, so I'm becoming very quickly immersed in all of these alternate therapies, and I'm really liking what I see so far. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Yolanda, you are next. Uh, yes, I do have a question. Yolanda Arrington from Health.mil. Um, Master Sergeant, could you speak some more to uh, the stigma? How do you encourage other service members who may be dealing with PTSD to just sort of overcome the stigma of getting mental health help? Uh, initially, the, the stigma was pretty bad. It was just suck it up, deal with it. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, shell shock, it'll shake off. But now, um, you know, it's <laughs> 15 years later, uh, I realized that none of that is true. And uh, the way I help is honestly, Real Warriors did a piece on me, and as soon as it got out there, it got immediate results from people that are very close and have been to combat with me, connect, you know, contacting me saying, hey, all it took was me seeing you. All it took was me seeing your piece, seeing somebody I knew. Um, also, for Memorial Day weekend, we did uh, radio interviews, and that got hundreds of thousands of hits, and that that's reaching people as well. So even just, just telling the story is breaking the stigma. Did you get that, Yolanda? Yes, yeah, thank you. Okay, and Judy, you are next. Hi, Mr. Sergeant. Thank you so much for sharing your story. This is Judy Davis, and I write uh, family um, blogs, Direction Diva blogs for military families. And I had two questions. One, um, approaching it from the family's viewpoint, how would you advise families as the best way to deal with when their service member um, exhibits many of the behaviors you described or if they suspect um, issues and there has, the service member hasn't received treatment in the past? That was question one. And then also question two, what specific resources um, would you suggest for high school age dependents um, or even early college age dependents dealing with a family member that's having issues or even themselves as residual PTSD? Okay. Um, for, could you repeat the first part of the question again? The first part? Yes. Was, what would you, um, from a family's viewpoint, how would you advise them best to handle and deal with um, if they notice their service member exhibiting these kinds of behaviors that you've been describing um, and how to get help for their service member and themselves? Okay. Um, and, and recognizing being that family member, and I have to put the, the shoe on the other foot myself now, um, it was a little easier for my wife, I want to say, not easier, but it was in a manner because she's a soldier. But um, don't ever try to – you can't connect your experiences with your soldier's experiences. It will just never happen. Um, and like with quitting other things in life uh, or getting help that you need in life, it, it has to be on their terms. Unless it's life, limb, or eyesight, um, in which case there are obviously some – some areas and some places you need to go to, emergency-type, you know, areas. But if it's not life limb or eyesight, you need to just be there, listen, uh, be supportive, and and go with them through the process. Don't try to push them. Don't try to force them. That's only going to make it worse. Um, and don't ever try to connect or associate. Well, I've been there, too, because even we as soldiers, our experiences amongst each other are different, and we, we can't even connect those experiences at times. So... Just be supportive and listen, and, and don't try to push it unless you need one of those emergent outlets. 
Thank you. And the second part for uh, for the younger children or, or even teenage children, uh, the same outlets for active duty, the, the realwarriors.net, um, the mindbodystrength.org, the Army One Source, Army Chaplains, um, Military Family Life Consultants, Embedded Behavioral Health Clinics, those are all available. Uh, there's even, there's even uh, on and off base counseling certain numbers of sessions that can be given to family members to deal with things such as this, and they're, they're all available to family members of all ages. Perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And Michelle. Good morning. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us on this uh, teleconference. What a, what a great uh, chance it is for all of us to let others know. I'd like to know, you're still active duty. Um, which uh, installation are you located in? Uh, I am at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, ma'am. With your outreach that is available, you just mentioned, on the children and for having them outreach, outside of what is available on base, what have you found to be available off base? Are they local community programs, community health care programs, or are they programs that the base recommends that you can reach outside of Fort Campbell? There are, ma'am, actually both, and it, again, it depends on some are uh, nation and even worldwide that the Army has approved, uh, and some, again, it depends on Fort Campbell may have something that Fort Bragg, North Carolina may not, because I've been there as well. Um, but for the most part, and I have a lot of soldiers throughout 18 years, uh, from what I'm hearing, is that there are just about equal on and off base resources. Um, and yes, the, the bases will have a listing of what is authorized and what is not, what is recommended and what is not. But each, like you said, each community has a different sort of out, outreach. Uh, Fort Campbell and the Clarksville area here is, is amazing. Um, there are still signs up from the 2000 redeployment to Iraq, and that's the way this community feels. Um, it just depends on which area you're at. Very good, very good. I noticed in your interview, which I think is a very compelling one, um, where your in-base, uh, the counselor that had dealt with you directly, do you still deal with her, and do they offer her services as well uh, within Fort Campbell? I'm assuming this is going to be done on all installations as well. Yes, uh, actually, it's been around for years. Uh, my son is four years old, and she's known him since before he was born. Uh, I still speak to her monthly, and this is an additional, this is a, a program, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention earlier, it's called Respect Mill, and each, almost all of the bases have it, and it's not in a adult behavioral health hospital type setting. Uh, they've had them for years, at least five that I'm aware of. Um, and what it is is they're embedded in clinics and small teams, uh, getting smaller these days, but you just go and see them. You can tell your leader if you're afraid of the stigma or worried about it, hey, I've got a cold, and you just go to the clinic and let them know, hey, I need help. Uh, and I still steer soldiers towards her, uh, and she's thankful. She gives me all kinds of um, products to hand out to the soldiers, stress balls, you know, information cards, all these outreaches that we're speaking about. Um, and just last month, one of those brothers I spoke about earlier redeployed from Afghanistan and said, I need you to tell me if there's one here at my base. And there was, and I hooked him up, and uh, he's getting help that he needs. That is the respect.mil, or respect-mil uh, that they have located there? Yes, ma'am. I would love to touch base with you on that to find much more about uh, where that's located in all the installations. Absolutely. 
Thanks, Michelle. Uh, next was Alice. Alice Swan. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Master Sergeant Tippett. I also thought your video on Real Warriors was very moving. Do you, uh, I would imagine, and have you found that uh, in interactions with fellow soldiers that may be t just trying to get help, the idea that you, the, the fact that you got a promotion while you were in the Respect Mill program, does that have, did that have the biggest impact on people? And why is the stigma still there after all these years of Real Warriors campaign efforts? Uh, I do believe that being promoted and several of the duty positions that I have held uh, since I've been a Sergeant First Class, First Sergeant, and Master Sergeant, I believe that that does play a large part. I, I kind of wish that it didn't uh, because I wish people would just be able to come forward, but that leads me into why is the stigma still there? And honestly, it's because it was, it was so embedded for so long, not even just this well before my time and, and in my grandfather's service in the Marines, is that shell shock mentality is just snap out of it and there's nothing wrong with you. And I think it's going to take a very long time uh, for that stigma to be completely shaken. Uh, like I said, I wish, honestly wish it hadn't taken me getting promoted in this program and, and speaking out like this. I, I wish it would have just happened more naturally, but again, this has been around for so long, we just have to keep fighting it. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we are through the first round of questions. Was there anybody on the line that did not get to ask a question? Okay, so we'll go back around to Tom. Hi, uh, yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned shell shock and, and the history. Have you seen an influx of, uh, of Vietnam veterans and such coming in and, and seeking the type of professional help that's being offered? I have. In fact, uh, I was very humbled a couple of weeks ago because I'm a member of uh, a Veterans Association of units that were Korea. It's, we had the same unit designator from Korea and Vietnam War, and I go to their reunions every couple of years, and there's only a handful of us from this generation. And, and the reason I was so humbled was because two of the vets saw my story and went to the VA, and I just didn't know how to deal – I didn't know how to process that, um, that, that I had – helped them do that. It was very shocking to me. But yeah, I, I actually have seen more, even just recently, stepping forward. Thank you. Yes. And Dale. So my question um, is to Nancy uh, Sinclair. Thank you very much, ma'am, for attending. But can you tell us how many hours have been given um, by given hour to help the veterans in the past and, and uh, what kind of services are recommended by Given Hour? Uh, certainly. Given Hour has been around since about 2005. And for those of you who don't know much about Given Hour, I'd like to give a little bit of background information. It was started by Dr. Barbara Van Dalen. She's a president and founder, and she is still a president and founder. She's a psychologist in the D.C. area. And she saw this need for more mental health assistance coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan, and that really no one entity could assist. We needed everybody's help. And she really felt like 
as a, a therapist herself, she was willing to donate her time and that other clinicians would feel the same. And it was in that spirit that she started Given Hour and rallied licensed providers across the United States to donate one hour of their time a week for up to a year at minimum. But many of our clinicians uh, continue to do this work for many years. And now fast forward, um, it's almost ten, almost coming up in our 10-year anniversary. We have 7,000 licensed clinicians across the United States. They're in all 50 states, and they have donated at this point in time 110,000 hours of free counseling services, and that's a conservative, conservative estimate. We send out a quarterly survey, and, we, and not all of the clinicians respond to that, but that's what we know in terms of measurable information that comes back. So when you're looking at that number and you're thinking that therapists you know, regularly charge about $100 an hour, that is over $10 million of free counseling that has been provided, and that is for active duty, guard, reserve, and their loved ones, and this is uh, targeted for post-9-11 veterans. We also think that fills a nice gap, too, when you're able to provide this type of service to those loved ones who may not be a card-carrying dependent, they may not have insurance, and they otherwise may not be able to access behavioral health services. You know, we also sometimes find that some folks are wanting to come to give an hour because of the anonymity. There is uh, There are no records that are, are kept by our given hour providers. This is all a volunteer service, and for those Individuals that don't want to go through um, the chain of command or through a governmental system that offers an alternative to that. Do you get all that? And, and oh, how yeah. would a soldier or airman or marine or sailor find a given hour counselor, Nancy? So you would go to our website, and that's giveanhour.org. And it's really simple. There's a search for providers. You click on that. You can do an advanced search and look for particular providers that may have a specialty in working with adolescents and providing couples counseling, specialized in PTS, PTSD, or traumatic brain injury. And then you can also do a search within a certain mile radius of where you live. You put in your zip code. Again, it's super simple. That's one thing that Dr. Van Dalen wanted to make this is very accessible and easy for everyone. And then through that search engine, it will pop up with the name of a provider in your area. And then that individual would contact that provider directly and set up an appointment. And if there is not a provider in your area, you can contact us at info at givenhour.org. And we do have staff members that will put an alert out and find someone for you. We also offer, our therapists are also, uh, some of them offer telephonic counseling. That's counseling over the phone for areas that may not have coverage and when it's clinically appropriate. And we also have a new initiative with Google. Google Helpouts reached out to us within this past year. They were able to develop a 
uh, telemedicine component, you know, think of it as Skype, you know, Skype version of counseling. It's HIPAA compliant. It's fireproof, firewallproof, where we can link individuals that, again, are clinically appropriate for telehealth. And this is something that's in the pilot stages. We're just slowly rolling this out, but it's another creative way to connect people, especially when there's gaps or individuals that are in rural areas or maybe even caretakers who are not able to leave the home as easily. Oh, that's all great. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, Phyllis, did you have any uh, follow-up question maybe for Miss St. Clair? Actually, let's do something a little bit different right now. Did anybody else have uh, um, any follow-up questions for uh, Miss St. Clair? Mine was for Master Sergeant Tippett. Okay. Well, we'll go to uh, Mallory. Did you have a question for Miss St. Clair yet or, or right now? Um, I did have one for Master Sergeant Tippett as well. Okay. We'll go through that, and then we'll go back to uh, come back to you, Miss St. Clair, if that's okay with you. Uh, Phyllis, okay, Phyllis, and you want to go ahead with your question? Yes. What I wanted to know is when you decided to get help, what did you do? Which website? Which phone call? Which clinic? And where were you at the time? Uh, at the time, uh, it was 2005, and I was in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I just uh, went into the behavioral health clinic. And, and I'm not going to lie, initially, uh, it didn't, I didn't feel that it helped me at all. I didn't feel that I had the resources that I needed, so I just kind of pushed back, and I dealt with it as best as I could. But when I really, truly started getting help uh, was here in 2008, uh, after I came off my 2007 deployment, and I went into the clinic, and someone explained to me about the Respect Mill program and its anonymity, and I began to see the... Miss Young, the Respect Mills nurse case manager that I'm still seeing today once a month. So can we just be clear? I mean, so Behavior Health Clinic uh, at Fort Bragg, someone was assigned to speak to you? I mean, in other words, what happened that wasn't effective? What happened was uh, when you deploy and then when you redeploy, you go through medical screenings and, and pre- and post-deployment uh, forms that you fill out that state what you may have seen, what you may have dealt with. And, right. and honestly, it, it just kind of felt like a paper mill, you know, just, just going through the motions or checking the blockading to see a counselor. Whereas here, uh, they had one-on-one, -on -one, not much more time because there are a lot of soldiers, but <laughs> they had more one-on-one -on -one time instead of just getting through the process and reintegrating in, in, into, quote-unquote, normal life at home. So if in 2005 you had known that not better, but more. What would you have done when you realized you weren't getting enough help? What would be a step that you would take now, I'm tell people to take now if they go into the behavioral health clinic at their fort and don't get, feel they're getting help? Which is the number one thing you would recommend? Uh, you can use Army One Source. I mean, my, the number one thing I would recommend is to research and to not get discouraged and to, to not give up because that's essentially what I did for a couple of years after that that initial, hey, I need help, the initial, you know, cry or whisper for help, and I, and I gave up. Uh, I mean, getting involved as, as roundtables such as this, just Googling, how do I get this help? And all of these sites and information and resources will pop up, and that that is, if I could go back a couple of years and tell myself, is you haven't quit at anything else. Why are you quitting at this? You know, it's, it's only going to get worse from here. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thanks. And Mallory? 
Uh, yes. Um, my other question was, it's kind of two parts. How do you deal with a soldier who has started therapy but then has decided to stop or one who gets extremely distressed in a counseling session and says that having to talk about the traumatic event makes things worse for him? So how, how would you advise like a spouse or somebody to deal with that? Uh, kind of along the same lines as I had said earlier, is just being supportive and everything, but also in the, the, the same manner as we would if we were down downrange or deployed with a soldier that exhibited issues such as that, um, you know, remove him from the situation. If talking about it, it makes it worse, then we, we will definitely let him remove himself, him or herself, from that situation, or we will actively remove them from that situation um, and just and just be there for them. If, if just being there quietly is all you can do, um, then do that and monitor them and, and don't leave their side. Um, you know, kind of like a segregation without segregating them and just make sure they have everything they do need until they are ready. Eventually they, they, they hopefully should be ready to go back to that. And I've had several soldiers both downrange and here and dealt with it myself where at times you just, you just don't want to talk. You just you don't want to deal with it. You want to you want to just be quiet and reflect. You know, do what you need to do to get through the day with the people around you. And and again, it just for me sometimes it's the same as it is when we're deployed. I just use the same tactics. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. And Yolanda. Yes, I'm still here. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I had you guys on mute. Um, um, I don't think I have a, a question at this point. Okay. You get me. Thanks. Yep. Judy? Yeah, no questions at this time. I'm good. Okay. And Michelle? Michelle, are you there? Yeah, I am here, uh, Glenn. Yep. Sergeant Tippett, you had mentioned earlier that you had reached out into one of the other organizations with the Korean and Vietnam War vets, and that one of them... Michelle, we lost you. Hello. Yeah, I think we lost her. Oh, okay. She must. She must have. We'll come back to her. Uh, Alice, you were next. No questions. Okay. Well, Michelle, you there? Okay, Tom. Did you have any follow-ups? Uh, I do not, but I would once again like to say, Master Sergeant, I appreciate your service and, and thank you so much for what you've endured, and I'd hope. And I pray that we as a nation will take, continue to take care of you. Thank You're welcome. You. Thank you, sir. Dale, you're next. Um, no, no more. Thank you, Glenn. Yep. And, okay, so did anybody else have any more follow-ups? Roger that. Uh, what I'll do with Michelle, Michelle wanted to get some information from you also, Master Sergeant. Sure. So uh, because we can't hear what her last question is i'll have her send that to me an email and forward that along to you and then we can coordinate that information back to her all right that's okay okay so uh with that uh mass sergeant did you have a closing statement you'd like to make yes uh i just wanted to to thank everyone for speaking with me and giving their time today and for for getting all of these not just our message uh, but all of these messages out there and and for supporting us. Uh, we do appreciate it. Uh, all of us service members, we do appreciate it greatly. Uh, we can't thank you enough for your support. Um, and we're just happy to be home. 
Thank you very much, Master Sergeant. I can't tell you how embarrassing it feels to have you say uh, thank us for our time. Thank you for your time and for your service. Uh, Miss St. Clair, are you, if, you're, uh, if you have a closing statement, you can go ahead and make that. Yes, I, I want to echo what uh, Master Sergeant Tibbet said earlier about, he talked about his experience of reaching out for help initially and then um, and not giving up on that and, and reaching out again later. That takes a lot of courage to do that, especially when your first experience with that is negative. I'm you know, a therapist myself. I spent uh, some time downrange in Iraq, embedded um, as a civilian. And, you know, I know a lot of different sides to that experience. Um, so oftentimes what I, I like to say to people, too, is to remind them one size does not fit all uh, in terms of seeking treatment. And I do encourage people to, to keep pushing forward, uh, keep looking for ways to heal. As was mentioned earlier, uh, of course, there's traditional therapy is needed. There's alternative modalities like yoga, um, like acupuncture, equine therapy that was mentioned earlier that Master Surgeon Tibbet uses too. And some people, a combination of all those things helps and or medication. And oftentimes just having good friends and people to talk to, all those things about being a healthy person, I encourage people to keep moving forward and, and doing those things that resonate with them and feel that help them uh, be the best they, that they can truly be. And, you know, everyone struggles with this issue of stigma. It's not just unique to the military community. It's something that we have uh, problems with as a nation. So I'm glad that we're continuing to have this dialogue every time that we can because there are special considerations that go into the military community that has made it harder for them to reach out. And I'm, I'm so glad now that there are so many more resources out there, that there are initiatives like the Real Warriors Campaign and all the other ones that have been mentioned on this call that can assist people and, and make it more accessible. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, thank you for your time also and, and for all your comments. I'd like to thank all the bloggers on the line also and anybody else who joined for uh, your questions. They're all great questions today. Uh, thank you again, everybody, for your time. If you'd like, there will be a story on DoD Live tomorrow uh, about this call. And if you'd like to also send me the link to your blog, I'll, I'll definitely post that on DoD Live. Uh, we will have the audio for this at some point later today or tomorrow morning. You might have to give me a little bit of extra time on it because it was a longer roundtable. Uh, <clears throat> with that, I'd like to thank everybody for your time again and uh, let you know this that concludes today's call. You can disconnect at any time.